Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to a big Carnage House episode. I'm lucky to have Michael Dello Yakovo uh, in the house to talk with me about all things animal justice. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Dougal. It's great to be here. Now, Michael, you're head of the youth wing of the Animal Justice Party, who've been quite successful at the recent elections. Now, I don't know too much about the party, so why don't you give me the kind of pitch, what the Animal Justice Party is about, and the recent election success. Sure. So the Animal Justice Party formed in 2011, and it formed because of a frustration um, of people from a range of different parties and backgrounds that there just wasn't enough consideration for animals in politics. Um, which I think is true even even now, unfortunately, uh, that most laws are made, most laws are changed and made without considering the animals that it affects. They're usually mostly concerned on how it affects humans. So the Animal Justice Party exists to give a voice to animals in Parliament and to be there to um, represent them. So um, for the recent elections, we um, were able to increase our um, representation in Parliament from one to two uh, members in New South Wales. Uh, in last year in the Victorian state election, we got our first representative there. So now we have three across the country. Uh, and then in the federal election a few weeks ago, we unfortunately, I think the votes are still being counted, but it looks like we won't get an upper house seat there, unfortunately. Um, but we were able to increase our vote most places across the country. So that's really good, um, especially since uh, the, not the large number of minor parties running in this election. Mm. which makes it easy for the voices of small parties to be drowned out. Mm. Uh, I think the fact that we still did well was, um, was, was good and we increased our um, supporter base, so I think we'll continue to increase and mm. improve on that next time. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I want to get into some of those media issues about animal justice yep. um, with you, but first I want to talk a little bit about you, uh, who you are and how you got involved in the Animal Justice Party. Now, you mentioned to me before you're doing a PhD in space science. Yeah. Um, which is impressive, but quite different from your animal mm-hmm. justice. Um, well, I don't know. Would would you say that your PhD is is taking up most of your time, or your your animal justice stuff, or, or how does your life get divided right yeah, now? Yeah. So, so, well, for the last five or so months, I've taken time off my PhD to focus mm. on first the New South Wales state election and the federal election, uh, which was definitely needed because that took up pretty much most of my time in that in that period. Um, I've started my PhD again this week, so now I'm trying to find that new balance between Animal Justice Party work and PhD work. Um, I think, I guess you could say, well, at the moment it's probably two-thirds PhD and one-third mm. Animal Justice Party. Mm. Um, yeah. So what do you do on, like, a, what does head of the youth wing mean for, for Animal Justice Party? Sure. Well, we, we founded the youth wing last year, uh, and it's the first youth wing for an animal party in the Southern Hemisphere, which is, I think, pretty mm. cool. So. Um, we, we run events by young people for, for young people. Uh, it's really about giving young people a voice and a, a space to, to be active in the party. Um, help, we run workshops to help people improve political advocacy skills, um, their speaking skills, so on. Um, oh, right. Yeah, give, you know, give them an opportunity to um, have a say in what happens in the party and what issues mm. we focus on. And also a good opportunity to um, help out. So we had opportunities for helping out elections for young people. Um, and by young people, I mean any 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 age up to th- about thirty. Mm. Uh, thirty is our the the youth wing age limit. That's so. that's when you become uh, middle <laughs> age. <laughs> that's it. So um, yeah, so uh, we're still we're right. still getting going. We um we're hoping to we at the moment we only have the youth wing in New South Wales, mm. um, and we're hoping to expand that across the country as well. Okay, so what 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 does an event look like? Like what might be an mm. example of event that you put on for the for the youth? Sure. Um, a few months ago, we had. Emma Hurst, who um, at the time was um, not, not elected. Yeah, shout out to Emma. She got elected. She was elected, uh, which is awesome. But at the time, she wasn't elected, but she came and gave us a talk about um, mm. uh, why political advocacy is important for animals, uh, why, why people should be involved in, in uh, political advocacy to help animals. Uh, and that got a um, very positive reception. A lot of um, young people came along to, to, um, to see that. And... I guess some other other examples of events in a few weeks time we're going to be um, volunteering at a dog rescue shelter mm-hmm. um, just helping them out it's just uh, I mean we sometimes when animal advocacy you get caught up in um, very abstract things it's nice to kind of get back to actually helping the animals personally mm. sometimes so we're going to be doing that just an opportunity for about 15 of our youth wing members to go and um, uh, help out some 
some dogs hands on. Okay, fantastic. Now I, I do like that that you you are actually going and doing some stuff with the animals. Mm. I feel like that. Um, I don't know. I just like that. That, that is good. Yeah. Um, now. I assume that you said that's for your youth wing members. Mm-hmm. Now, I assume that if um, any of the listeners wanted to go and help out, is that an exclusive thing for your youth wing members or can they do something else? Yeah, this this one is unfortunately exclusive for our youth wing members. Um, we, most of our events are open to everybody, but just because mm. of limited numbers for this one. Okay, yeah. well, no problem. I'm sure um, if there's any events in the future, we'll be able to um, link them, awesome. um, share them around. Uh, so let's talk about some of the uh, the issues that um, the Animal Justice Party w- want, wants to have a look at. Now, um, I don't know, because you have two members in the New South Wales Parliament and mm. one in Victoria. Um, well, the first thing I want to ask is what what's the kind of realistic contribution in Parliament in, like, laws for a mm. kind of minor party? What type of things can you look at doing? Yeah, so... Um there's a few different things I want to talk about here. So first is this idea of the balance of power, which some of your listeners may be aware of. It's where, um, uh, so if, if you have one or two seats in the upper house, let's say, um, because the major party will rarely form a majority on their own in the upper house, to get their bills passed, they need to work with some other minor, smaller parties to, um, uh, to make arrangements to get their bills passed. So they might come to us and they might say, look, we need one or two more votes. Um, on our bill, can you help us out? And then we'd say, well, okay, but what will you do for animals? What will you do for the environment um, for us to consider your bill? And that's that's something we're always doing, uh, looking for opportunities to work together on um, different issues. Um, and we actually have managed to get, um, through, through this uh, arrangement, we managed to get a change in the code of practice to help um, animals in experimentation in New South Wales, mm. uh, which was the right to release, our right to release bill. Um, so we can we can realistically mm. make change even with a small number of people mm. elected. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about is uh, we've actually our members have recently been elected Mark Pearson and Emma Hurst to a number of different committees, which are um, uh, where more work can be done in Parliament. So they were elected to um, uh, I believe committee the committee on health, committee on environment, and committee on animal welfare. So that's three different committees that they're work they're working on directly to. Um, uh, influence law and encourage people to the other politicians to think about animals and how laws change affects them. Okay. Well, do you want to give us a quick? What's this code of practice for mm. scientific experiments? What's that about? Sure. So the right to release bill was um, proposed for. So to back up a little bit, there are about ten million animals experimented on in Australia each year, uh, and about five million of those are in New South Wales alone. And we're talking about things like um, testing for medic medical purposes. Uh, now, about fifteen hundred of these are cats and dogs in New South Wales, if I'm not mistaken. So, our bill um, mandate. Now, what happens is after about ten years or however long the animals are tested on for, um, for cats and dogs in particular, they are usually euthanized, and that's kind of just the standard, or at least it was. Now, um, we, we, we knew that most of these dog, cats and dogs and probably most of the animals in the, med, in the testing industry, they're healthy at the end of that time, mostly. Mm. Um, you know, they've, they've had various tests on them, some very invasive, some, other, some less so, but they're, they're usually capable of living, you know, living out the rest of their life. So we just said, why, not, why don't we change this so that these animals have to be given a chance to, um, to be rescued, to be rehomed, um, to, to, to live a good life after that and we you know there's, I don't think there's any reason why they can't so it was just a very small change and it only affects unfortunately at the moment cats and dogs but that is 1500 cats and dogs each year who will um, uh, give, be given the chance to to have a new life um, that's pretty good that's yeah. a good start um, yeah I think there's probably a lot of people who, who are happy with that I can't imagine why why it might not be but did you meet any resistance um, to that bill we uh, did and what was the resistance about yeah we did um, well some of the resistance was from the testing industry itself mm. and actually one comment that was made to us was um, oh you can't do that if everyone sees that the animals are actually healthy you know that, that will just change the whole perception of the the testing and general testing industry Right. I think that's exactly right. Um, people see these animals and they, you know, they, you say to them, oh, this dog was um, tested on for 10 years. And people just, you know, it puts a face to the, yeah. to the, to the, um, to the issue. And it, I think, yeah, people, it really shocks people and people are horrified to know that we do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what, um, what, 
when, when it's 1500 cats and dogs mm-hmm. what what's the majority type of animal that gets tested on people might maybe from have like some idea it's a hamster mm. um what, what what are the usual animals that get tested mostly it's mice rats and fish mm. um fish probably surprising to some people mice and rats are the, the typical ones you think of um but fish more recently because they have um, some traits that are more similar to, to humans. Um, but I, I just want to say that I, I, um, I we, you know, you ask someone why, why do we test on animals? And we say, oh, because they're like us, you know, they have similar properties to us. But then you, you ask them, why is it okay to test on animals and not humans? And you, they say, well, then, because they're not like us. Mm. I think there's a fundamental um, inconsistency there. And when there's so many alternatives like, um, computer modeling like testing on um, human cells uh, mm. which is more accurate and more consistent because um, a lot of a lot of products you test them on animals and it looks like they're okay and then you test them on you, you know they apply them to humans and actually because we have different physiologies it just doesn't work and there have been cases where um, thousands of humans have gotten sick because a new uh, product has been rolled out, medical product. It was tested on animals and we thought it was great. And then turns out we just have different physiologies and it mm. caused a lot of issues. So yeah, when there's a lot of different alternatives, I don't think we should be testing. Okay, so we so. would be looking for a total ban on animal testing? So, so that is our ultimate goal. Um, and we acknowledge that the road to that is probably long, which is mm. why we're open to these kind of more stepwise changes. Um, but yes, that's definitely our, our ultimate goal. Um, mm. yeah. Okay, um, and so, I don't know anything about medical or mm. space, or I don't really know much about anything, to be quite honest. Um, I'm sure it's my, true. <laughs> my, um, my gut feeling is that there would have been some uh, helpful to humans testing on animals. Now, whether that's legitimate or not, and whether that should, should be something that we don't do anyway. Um, but are you saying you think there's more effective ways to test like a new medical product or whatever it is that currently gets tested on animals? Mm. Do you think there's better alternatives absolutely yeah 100 percent. yeah and i think i think you can say you know we've learned some things from testing animals that may have helped us but um again it's it's about considering it's about weighing the the effects on the animals versus mm. the humans we can't just think about our ethics and our laws in terms of how it affects humans um there might be some benefits to humans but if it causes you know thousands yeah. of animals to to be tested on i don't think that's worth yeah. it yeah yeah Okay, well, I guess here's an interesting question, and I guess it might go a bit deeper into the mm. animal justice party. Is like, if the, um, to what extent is the life and safety of the animals equivalent or as important as the life and safety of humans? And where mm. would you guys would you guys put different animals higher up? Because you would have probably seen that that meme going around Facebook where they have like the. Um, the, the pigs and the sheep and then and the cow and then and then the horse and like the elephant it's like where's the line they say well it's yeah, right yeah. between the cow and the horse i've seen that right where you know it obviously doesn't make sense to put a line there mm. but we kind of do um or at least a lot of people kind of do do you guys have a feeling where that line might be or would you just take the line out completely um so this this is my personal view is that um the only morally relevant trait is that you know of, of when we consider why do we care about you know animals mm. and why, do, why not care about plants or something it's because animals can suffer mm. and i think any animal that can suffer has you know a, an interest in not suffering and then we should try and reduce that suffering so i think you know i think we should care about all all animals and insects and everything that can suffer the, qu- the question is how much do we do we care about them different um mm. you know different amounts now I, i'm not going to say that I think an ant's life is worth a human's life. I think that doesn't make sense. Um, but I think we should, yeah, we should definitely give equal consideration to all living beings um, in terms of how much they can they can suffer, how much, you know, all, all of those kind of re- re- traits that I think are relevant. Mm. Um, now, whether, you know, whether, um, whether, an, whether a pig, let's say, is worth one human or 10 pigs are worth a human, I think either way, um, if we were being true to ourselves and true to the values that most people actually have, we wouldn't be running a world like we are right now. Um, mm. Even if it's you know 10, 10 pigs are worth one human, I don't think it, it wouldn't make sense to to um, do what we do to them in farms. It wouldn't make sense to do what we mm. do to animals in animal testing. So, okay, yeah. well let's talk about it. Mm. I'm quite interested in that point. Um, 
And I want to maybe come back to this point of suffering mm-hmm. and how it might relate to some other non non animal non non some human issues yeah. later yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about um, let's talk about the farming. Let's talk about um, sorry. Let's talk about uh, well. Let's talk about farming. Sure. Yeah. Um, so is it? Um, oh, firstly, is a personal interest question. Mm. Are most of the people in the Animal Justice Party vegan or vegetarian? It is a good question. I don't know off the top of my head how many of our members are vegan or vegetarian. I would dare say it's a, uh, a large number, but we're certainly not. Um, you certainly don't have to be a vegan or vegetarian to be a member of the party. At the mm. moment, we do um, say that to be a candidate for an election or to be on a committee, you do have to be vegan. Mm. And that's just because um, you know, we, if we're going to be in Parliament speaking on behalf of animals, then we kind of need to make sure our actions are aligned. Um, without with what we with what we say, but to be a member and to be involved, we have a lot of people who help us, and you know they they're very concerned about the treatment of animals, but aren't necessarily vegan themselves. Um, mm. So we're open to yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about mm. farming. Um, do you want to say anything in general about farming and like the the? Well, my gut feeling is if if we elevate how we think of animals mm. and like we in terms of their their value of life, then you'd have to say probably farming overall isn't isn't very good is that your yes. position yes and i think i think anyone would say that if they accepted that um because you you just look at how uh the, the status quo of how animals are treated in farms even just in australia mm. where people think we have very good welfare conditions maybe better than some countries but it's not as good as people think um when people think of a farmed animal in australia they probably think of like a cow in an ice paddock or something that's actually a very small percentage of the animals that are farmed in Australia. But it's the image we have because the the other animals have very little visibility. So actually, most animals farmed in Australia are chickens farmed in intensive um, operations. So in, in cages, in these, um, uh, in, in battery cages where they have very little room to move, you know, sometimes multiple chickens in the mm. cage. That's one of the issues we're trying to change in New South Wales law to ban that practice. Um, so I think, yeah, if you only, even if we're only considering the welfare of the animals um, and the interests of the animals, it, farming, mm. at least the way we're doing it now, um, doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, but then also you look at the environmental impacts and how that affects us and, and also animals. Um, now, when people talk about climate change, they talk about, usually talk about fossil fuels or transport. I think these are both absolutely important. Um, but what people want to realize is arguably the leading cause of climate change is animal agriculture um, in Australia. So uh, when, once you consider the emissions, once you consider the deforestation, so for example, 93% of deforestation in Queensland um, has been from animal agriculture historically, um, 93%. So uh, yeah, it's it's just, I think when we, when we focus on fossil fuels and um, transport for, for climate change, Again, I think that's important, but I think the focus there is wrong. I think we should be focusing more on animal agriculture, especially considering it's such a neglected issue. Um, everyone knows about fossil fuels. Everyone knows about um, transport, but no one thinks mm. about the well, animals and the impact environment. Yeah. Um, I know in the Green New Deal, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has talked about the cows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to continue on this issue of farming for mm. a bit more. Now, farming does feed a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and for the first time, I think, in... I think ever, I think it was a couple of years ago, um, it was actually, I think obesity overtook anorexia as the, the leading cause of um, health problems in the yep. world. And that's kind of a nice achievement for the for the human race. Um, but the way it's it's been explained to me sometimes, and I'd like to get your opinion on mm. it, is that the kind of, the moral judgment which we place on farming and animal agriculture is, is contingent on the alternative kind of food sources we can get, right? Mm. So if we were hunter-gatherers, it wouldn't be a problem if we were to go and uh, kill a cow so we could eat the cow. But the the argument I've heard is that, well, because we have alternative food sources and we can do things differently, mm. then that means that killing the cow then becomes unnecessary and maybe bad. Now, I'm still a meat eater. Um, I am kind of intellectually sympathetic to the animal argument. Um, and maybe if I was a better man, I would might uh, you know, I might, I might change, but, uh, it, you know, happy to have that discussion. Um, but do you think that for like countries that aren't like Australia, that let's say, um, 
you go to somewhere like Laos, where my cousin, my uncle, who's a farmer, just went to Laos and was helping mm-hmm. them, teaching them like farming practices, how to better maintain like a, a flock, how to fight diseases and, and stuff like this. Um, do you think it's a different moral question about farming for them than it would be for Australians? Yeah, so first I'll say um, I agree with what you said uh, in that if we had to eat animal products to survive, it would be a very different question. Um, but at the base level, we don't need to do it for health reasons um, if we have alternatives. And in fact, it's actually arguably healthier if we um, avoid things like red meat, processed meat, uh, eggs and so on. But um, it, it does get trickier in countries where they're perhaps more reliant on it. But I will push back on that a little bit because I, I want to say that animal agriculture is actually a really inefficient way of farming. Um, so it, it takes something like nine calories of... Um, grain or uh, feedstock to produce one calorie of like animal product, whether that's, you know, that, I think that's the most efficient conversion, which I think it might be chickens because they've been bred to grow faster. Um, but if you look at other animal products like um, beef, you know, it's maybe 15 calories per, per calorie. Um, so it's very inefficient in that sense. It also uses a lot of water, it uses a lot of land. Um, I think there will be some, you, you'll get some cases where it might be more efficient, where say they're grazing in air, like land that can't be used um, to grow any crops or anything like that. But even in developing nations, um, a lot of land is used to grow crops solely for the, for the um, uh, production of animal products. And, and so I, th- yeah, I do just want to push back a little, a little bit because I think um, if we were, you know, we were really looking at what's, what's gonna, what type of farming should these people be doing to, to um, you know, to benefit the people themselves the most, I think it actually would be, in most cases, um, not animal products, I think it would be um, different crops like corn, uh, soy, that kind of thing. Okay, so why do you think, if, if that's the most efficient type, why do you mm. think that um, animal agriculture might still be uh, an option that they use? Why wouldn't they have converted already to soy and corn and things oh, like that? Why do they use it now? Yeah. Um, so one one part of it, I mean, it's... Um, I guess for for somewhat for a subsistence farmer, it could be more, a more profitable option um, for them to sell a crop, like for them to grow a crop instead of eating it to sell it mm. um, to someone else to farm animal products with it. Um, but also because in I don't know about developing nations, but I know that in Australia in the US we have a lot of subsidies that go into mm-hmm. animal products, animal farming, because um, the the lobbies of the industries are quite powerful. So. It is a little bit skewed. I mean, when you go and buy a hamburger for two dollars or whatever it is, like uh, that's mm. that's if it, if it wasn't for the subsidies, it would cost more. If you mm. consider the negative externalities, like the environmental impact, it would cost more again. Um, mm. So yeah, I think um, uh, even in the yeah, if even where we do farm it today, because um, maybe because of you know tradition, people have a desire to want to eat animal products. Uh, I think that if we could um, turn some of these levers and start maybe shifting some of the subsidies from animal products to um, uh, plant-based farming, or, you know, we talk about a carbon tax, but the original carbon tax in Australia, or carbon price, what do you want to call it, um, didn't, it just ignored the animal agriculture industry, sorry, mm-hmm. the agriculture industry in general. Um, and I think, you know, if we, if we started to look at the negative externalities, like the environmental impact, and we taxed um, the industry accordingly, I think, the that people that you would just see people shifting um, what they farm on their own and what they consume on their own. Mm. Okay. So than today, yeah. Okay. Um, very interesting. Now, of course, if you um, if you were to take that position on farming um, with the animals, then the economics wouldn't be that important uh, because you'd have that moral obligation first. Um, but do. You, do you give any consideration to the economics of leaving a, a beef or agriculture industry behind? Or if you were to implement like alternative farming practices that might mean we don't have the same beef industry or, or, mm-hmm. or animal agriculture industry in Australia, um, do, you, do you give any, how do you think you might, you might go about doing that? Because um, mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of people who are dependent on it at this point. Yeah, um, I'm not going to pretend it's going to be an easy transition or a quick transition. Um, there, you're right, there are a lot of um, farmers who are dependent on the animal agriculture industry. Um, 
So, I mean, we've, we are looking into how we can transition. Um, mm. We want to, actually, we want to help farmers as well because, um, uh, you know, we, I, first I want to say I don't actually blame, I don't want to, we don't dislike farmers. We don't, um, you know, we, we don't want to blame people who, you know, consume animal products or anything like that. It is just the um, society that we are in and that's that's how it is. And so it's, I guess, if you want to point the blame, we'd rather, you know, focus on society, changing society. So we want to help farmers transition where they mm. can from animal farming to plant-based farming. Um, so we, we're looking at things like um, uh, subsidies for changing, um, uh, more, more generally, like I said, um, uh, some kind of like tax and subsidy scheme that, you know, based on, like what we have for fossil fuels, we tax that, or we want to tax that. And then we want to subsidize, say, renewable energy. I think it's mm. the same thing. We want to do the same thing. Mm. Um, so we, actually, we can look at the fossil fuel to renewables transition is a good example because we can do a lot of the same things. Um, I do find it interesting that um, <clears throat> in in the gen, I, I don't want to generalize too much, but just generally, I do I do feel like um, when people talk about transitioning from coal to renewables, no one seems to worry about the coal miners' job. But when you talk about transitioning for from animal farming to plant-based farming, suddenly mm. it's it's a big issue. Sorry, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I just, I just mm. so like in general, it's, I just find that interesting. So I think mm. um, we can just do the same thing that we did for that transition. We can look at the same kind of kinds of things to help. Sure, them. Yeah. sure. No, I get that. Mm-hmm. I think there is, um, although I think there is a significant discussion going on, particularly with the Adani coal mine mm. about the jobs that would bring into sure. Adani. Yeah. Um, but regardless, uh, I I concede that point. I think you know sometimes you do get a mismatch and mm-hmm. it, it unfairly it unfairly bite you um now to talk about a few more issues um why don't you give me the pitch so live exports Mm. right um what's the pitch for banning the ban on live exports yeah yeah so our our position on live exports we just want to end the industry entirely we want a complete ban um and the one of the main points there is we've seen a lot of undercover footage um and whistleblowers Mm. from the industry um, come out and um, reveal footage of the industry, um, what happens to these animals on ships. Um, and it's, it's just, it's so, so hard to have decent living conditions for animals when the economics kind of dictates that you pack them on that ship uh, and you cut corners on um, welfare. You, you know, you did, they're not really air conditioned. These animals mm. are sometimes like cooking to death, basically, especially in like the summer months. Um, but just in general, I think, uh, you know, we've seen over and over again just these these gross um, breaches of what we anyone would consider okay for animals. So we just want to end that industry entirely. Um, talking about the jobs there, I guess it's it's three point seven percent of our agriculture agricultural exports are live export, which is relatively small. So we we do want to look at um, uh, what kind of industries can we use to replace that. Um, so things like well exporting. Um, plant-based farming products uh, or other other exports entirely um, and you know help help promote those industries but uh, it, it is a very small percentage and I think most Australians want to see an end to that just because they don't want to have a part in in that industry um, yeah, I think that's, that's basically okay it. good yeah. I'm gonna take a pause sure. fix this camera yep um, but good I like where we're going Okay. Um, now I did have because live exports um, was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. I did send a message to a few of my farming buddies and ask them what they thought about it. Yeah. Um, I'll just raise a couple of points. If you want to respond, sure. uh, you can. Um, one is that the um, meat is healthier if the animal's slaughtered in the region where it's going to be consumed because it has a longer shelf life. It doesn't start. I don't know if that's a, assuming that we, we want to reduce the amount of meat eating. I mean, that's, I, I don't know if that's a strong point, but um, this is an interesting one, which is that many of the countries that are importing our livestock would switch to less, less ethically driven exporters, such as Sudan, Somalia, and Iran, if we were to end live exporting from Australia. Is that something you guys, is that something you consider? I don't even know if it's a moral thing, um, because if we want to look after what we do ourselves, does that mean we have a stake in what other countries do? I don't know. 
but it yeah. might affect the animal's welfare overall. Sure. No, it's an interesting point. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I can see that that is a possibility. I don't know, you know, I don't know how strong their live export mm. industries would be. Say, you know, if we stopped live exporting, mm. um, what other countries would do, I, I actually don't know. Um, maybe I have to look into that some more. But um, yeah, I guess it is just about setting, setting an example. Like we don't want to, I, I would think that most Australians don't want to be a part of this industry. Um, and so it's about, you know, not being, not being complicit in the industry at all. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe we can encourage, you know, we can, if we try to promote other products, maybe we mm-hmm. can encourage other countries mm-hmm. to do the same as well. Yeah. Well, I did see, um, on your website when I was looking at your, your policies and mm-hmm. your positions and stuff, um, that you referred to, I think some report into ban into, into live exports, um, which had a, which identified the problem of the animals cooking, particularly in the summer months in, mm-hmm. in these hot ships. And I think that, I don't know if the report said maybe you should look at banning, um, particularly the summer months um yep. is it do you guys see it as um i know you guys want to ban the the whole practice mm. um but assuming that it might it's probably gonna be very difficult to ban the whole practice would you look at like banning the hotter months as like a first step is that what you'd like to sure do? i mean we'd, we'd be open to that like i said we're open to um uh stepwise change to to help animals where we can um we, we've had a number of bans in the past that are kind of temporary or half like we I think recently we had a, um, a ban on sheep live export in the summer months and we get a lot of these kind of I guess we, I guess you can call them um, uh, like half half measures mm. and then often they will be overturned um, after a year when kind of the attention is died down so right um, I guess that that would be my one of my main pushbacks on that, why we want to still push for a um, total ban. And the other thing is, I don't actually know if it's that difficult. Um, we had we had Labor on board with that as well, and the Greens have been on board with that. So if we had uh, a different result in the last election, mm. I think we actually could have seen mm. that change. Okay, think, um, that's yeah. Realistically, that's and um, it is still possible to to clear it up. Um, so you guys work in the Senate, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you get stuff passed, you work with major parties. Mm. Do you usually find yourself working with Labor or Liberal or does it not really matter? We've worked with both. Yeah, we're happy to work with um, whichever party wants to talk about animal issues or the environment. Mm. Um, yeah, we, we've worked. We've definitely worked with both. We've worked with Greens. We've worked with a number of other small parties. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think mm. we're open to, to working with any mm. party that is open to working with us, yeah. Okay. And on the... Um, okay, we'll do a couple more animal issues because yeah. then... Uh, I, I do kind of want to talk a little bit at the end about the um, the human the sure. human issues. Yeah. Um, now on killing kangaroos on farms, mm-hmm. um, or maybe off farms, but I guess mainly on farms is yep. the issue. Um, kangaroos are often um, seen as a pest. Mm-hmm. Um, my buddy says they cost the agricultural sector ninety million a year through destruction of infrastructure, fences, blah blah blah. Uh, he says the management of total grazing pressure, which is a thing in farming, apparently, yeah. um, which is, he says, essential for maintaining plant biodiversity, um, gets c- can get changed by kangaroos. Um, so while you can monitor the number of cattle and sheep, it's harder to control kangaroo numbers, kind of grazing. And the only tool available yeah, is uh, um, the culling. The only tool available is, is to kind of shoot them. Um, now, I, I can have a good guess what your position on this is going to be, but I want you to give it to me anyway. Okay, so lots of things to talk about here. First, um, the idea that kangaroos are a pest, I think is really interesting because kangaroos, they're a native animal to Australia. Uh, and I can't really think of any other native animal, happy for you to correct me or just be wrong on this, but I can't think of any other native animal that we would call a pest. Usually when we talk about pests, which I, I don't like that term anyway, but we talk about an introduced species. But kangaroos have been here longer than humans have. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, f- I don't know if we can really mm. call them a pest. Um, and, you know, they talk about them being overpopulated. Personally, I, I mean, from what I've seen of the numbers, I would contest that they are overpopulated. I think their numbers are actually decreasing. Um, but just the idea that they can be overpopulated, like I don't think we'd call any other animal, native animal, like overpopulated. Um, mm. But also, um, the the idea that okay, then we have to we have to cull them, or to slaughter them to try and reduce their numbers. I don't actually, 
I don't think that that's a long-term viable solution. Um, culling has never been a long-term solution to, to population numbers of animals. Mm. Um, it, it will reduce their population size temporarily, but then in a few years' time, because the population has a stable point. It's, it's based on, you know, the, the long-term average is based on um, other factors like the amount of available food and water and land and mm. so on. So your population is just going to increase back to that size and you're going to cull them again a few years down the line. Um, what I think is a more long-term viable solution, I don't know if this has been tested on kangaroos, trial on kangaroos, but um, what we've, we've seen this for, for uh, I think, horses in the US and some other animals across the world. They've been testing um, uh, contraceptive methods. So, for example, um, putting like a contraceptive in food pellets and dropping food pellets through a region. The animals eat that. It causes a number of them, percentage of them, to become um, sterile. Mm. Uh, they give birth less young. And that actually is a more long-term solution because that does reduce the long-term average population size. And I think we should be looking at these um, alternatives. You know, that for, for horses, that's been shown to be um, cost-effective, about as cost-effective. It's much more humane. Um, and then I guess on, to, to carry on that point, I, don't th I, I find, um, for what I've seen from the kangaroo hunting industry in Australia, it's exceptionally cruel. Um, these, you know, the kangaroos are hunted at night um, almost always. They, um, they're often they're, they're often shot and not killed in one shot. It's it's um, they're often they have to be hit several times sometimes. You know, or they might get hit and run off. Mm. Um, and I mean, there are, I look. I don't, I don't know. Wanna, I don't want to go into too much graphic detail, but the the code of practice itself that dictates what is okay um, to do to kangaroos, what what is recommended. Um, I mean, what the the way they they recommend killing joeys is to just bash them across the head. Um, if you find a joey in a in a mother's pouch, yeah, and it, it's like, what do you, what do you do if you find one? Bash them across the head. That's what the code of practice says. So I don't I don't think that um, it's a particularly humane industry, as even as far as animal um, animal killing goes. But yeah, I think. And then you know, people will talk about. Um, the health risks. So a number of countries, um, Russia, I think maybe California and a few other countries are starting to ban kangaroo imports, kangaroo meat imports. Um, because what happens is when you kill a kangaroo, say you kill it at the start of a night, um, it goes in the back of this truck. Uh, it's an, usually an open ute, they're kind of just hung up there. You're driving along, this tr truck is driving along a dusty road all night, getting killing more kangaroos. And then at the end of the night, some, you know, eight to 10 hours later, they will go and put them in a refrigeration unit. But that's a long time for an animal to be dead on the back of a dusty truck um, without refrigeration. So it's not particularly humane and they've done tests on kangaroo meat and it's, um, it's uh, yeah, there are a lot of health issues, um, things like E. coli and other, other things they find in there. Um, so yeah, and then the, the other point that was made about um, the environmental impacts, kangaroos are, significantly less environmentally damaging than cattle um, and so I can you know I can perfectly understand you know why a farmer an animal farmer would be concerned about the environmental impact of kangaroos but um, considering that their livestock are causing more of an environmental impact um, I just I, I do I don't know I find that the focus is a little bit off that if, if we were really cared about the environment or we really cared about the animals I think we'd be going about it a different way mm -hmm. well, I think you made some really good points well thought out, well argued points. Um, and uh, one of the things we love to do on this channel is be open-minded. And so um, I'd love, I'd, you know, I'd love you guys to really consider uh, what Michael's saying. I'm considering it. I think you made some great points. Um, well, I want to do one more. Mm -hmm. um, I want to do, okay, well, let's, well, let's talk about um, climate change. Sure. Um, Unless you want to give a quick 30 seconds about greyhound racing as well. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so great, greyhound racing is uh, it's still legal in New South Wales. Um, we had, a few years ago, we had almost had a ban, uh, and then it was reverted. Um, look, just, just very, very quickly on greyhound racing. Um, these animals, are, they're bred for a job. They're, they're bred to race, and then when they're no longer producing a profit when they're no longer running fast and when they don't want to run anymore. Uh, they're usually just euthanized. Um, and so e even if we forget the, um, you know, like live baiting where sometimes rabbits are tied to a, to a, um, 
oh, I forget the, the name for it, but they're, they're tied the thing to it. spins around. That's the right. Dogs yeah. chase. And the dogs chase and they kill the rabbit. So, I mean, that's awful. And that's, you know, the, the like greyhound racing industry claims that they try to clamp down on that, but it still happens. Um, so letting aside that, I think, you know, just the fact that these greyhounds are, they're, they're bred and raised for a purpose. Um, and then when they finish that purpose, they just, they're discarded. Uh, and I just think that's, that's wrong. And, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm all for mutually beneficial relationships between humans and animals, like having companion animals and so on. But, um, to breed them just to, to race them and then kill them, I don't think makes any sense. Okay. Very nice. Um, okay. Climate change. Yeah, climate change. Now there is um, there have been some climate skeptics on the show. Mm. Um, I don't know that much at all about the science, um, or you know about about the economics of it yep. either. Um, but that being said, there's some people who thought they did mm-hmm. who've, been, who've come on. Now my gut feeling is when we talk about climate change, we're just going to have to at least today assume that it's a thing and yep. that we can uh, influence it. Um, but maybe you being a science person as well, you might be able to know a little bit about the science of climate change. But anyway, I'm just going to hand it over to you. Tell us about climate sure. change and what we need to do about it yeah. and what the, what, what the agriculture industry needs to do. Okay, so I, I could talk about the science, but I, I guess we'll just assume that mm-hmm. climate change is real and it's something we can do something about. So, um, all right, I, m- I mentioned before that... Um, uh, Animal agriculture is a major cause of climate change. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of things, and I think just historically in general, we haven't done anywhere near as much as we should have about that. I am a little bit heartened in that in the last I think in the last five years, I've seen a big shift in the position of the major parties and how they view climate change. It, it's historically just been something that say the Greens have been pushing or some independents um, and not getting a lot of traction on, but. Um, Labor's come on board with a lot of um, really good environmental policies. And so that's, I, I, I do take heart from that. I think we're seeing a slow shift in how um, environmental issues are being considered by Australian politics. Um, but again, I mean, it just, it takes, it took that long to get the major parties on board with fossil fuels and transitioning to clean energy. Um, I'm just worried that it's gonna take just as long, if not longer to get them on board with um, other industries like animal agriculture and to start thinking about that. Um, I've had conversations with, with uh, at least two Labor ministers, one state, one federal, and asked them about animal agriculture. And I said, well, you talk about climate change, which is great, but do you ever consider animal agriculture? And they just flat out said no. Um, and that's, yeah, that's worrying for me. So um, I, I would love to at least see that conversation start and to start talking about it in federal par- parliament, which would have been great if we had at least one senator elected in federal parliament because then we could be there to ask questions mm. of the ministers and say why are we not talking about animal agriculture or um, you know why are we just not doing more on climate change in general um was there something in particular you mm. wanted to talk no about well i guess um it would be to reduce the emissions mm-hmm. i guess from animals sure i yeah. guess the well the one that, that most people might know would be the methane from the mm-hmm. cows um, would you, what other things would you say yeah. animal agriculture needs to work on? Yeah, that's, that's a part of it. Um, deforestation, I think is a big one. I think, uh, people don't right. realize how much deforest, like, um, so the demand for animal products in Australia is still increasing to, so you have two choices. They're either, um, grazing, um, which actually requires more land use than, um, grain fed animals. Uh, so that means more deforestation or that you feed them with grain. Um, and then you have to uh, clear clear forest to um, make room for feeding them, to grow crops to feed them. So either way, it's it's um, you can't really have an increase in animal product demand without an increase in deforestation. Um, and that, that's that's a lot of um, emissions just from the the carbon stored in the trees that's released to the atmosphere. Um, so what what can the industry improve on? I mean, of course, I'm going to say I think we should be reducing animal product demand, but um, uh, something like, like I said, a carbon tax that actually includes the agriculture industry, I think would be good. It would incentivize, you know, even, in a, even if an animal farmer doesn't want to transition to a different industry, um, it would still incentivize them to try and look at what they can do to reduce the emissions in that industry. And just like we've seen some innovation in the fossil fuel industry, um, you know, they, they were working on reducing their emissions, I think we'd start to see the same innovation in the farming industry, which would be great for the environment, um, 
So uh, yeah, it just it just needs that that kind of um, incentive with either subsidies or taxes um, to to kind of get that going. Mm. Okay. Um, now, very happy with that. I think um, we might get some uh, some uh, pushback from the listeners in the comment section, which I look forward to. If there's any mm. climate skeptics or uh, animal agriculture, we want to hear what you got to say. Um, now, I think we did a pretty good job on the uh, on the animal issues, and that's what the Animal Justice Party is mainly about. Mm-hmm. Now, your party, on the website at least, does have a position on um, some of the more mainstream uh, human issues, and it mm-hmm. seems like you guys are kind of aligned with um, more Labor Greens, um, at least on social policy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that's fair characterization or not? I think that's fair. I, yeah, I think... Um our the policies that we have on um more human issues i think probably does align with them more yeah mm-hmm. okay um now there was one thing that came to mind um when you were talking about we should be protecting like the animals like who can who can mm. kind of feel pain and i don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position you don't have to answer this if yep. you don't want to you might even be able to guess what's coming um, there's been a big debate particularly in america recently about abortion mm-hmm. um some people call them uh fetuses some people call them unborn children um and that's kind that's kind of a thing um we know at some stage at least during the pregnancy that the baby can uh feel pain um do you guys have does that translate across to like fetuses or unborn babies this this kind of trying to extend uh civil rights and stuff like that or or not really so i'll give you i'll give you the um, the party position and then my personal position. Mm. So um, we don't currently have a policy on abortion in the Animal Justice Party. Um, so I, I'll, I'll say as well, I mean, um, uh, we have... So all, all of our, um, I guess, quote-unquote policies are on animal issues. Um, mm. What we have for, for human issues are um, position statements. So we have a position statement for some uh, major topical issues, but we have that distinction at the moment at least just to... Um, uh, focus. Try to focus on our core issue and the mm. core reason that we exist, which is um, for the non-humans. Um, but absolutely, I mean, we want to. Um, yeah, we all our our members still have to vote on every issue, every bill that comes across Parliament. Um, so what I can say is that our member, uh, our first member in New South Wales, Mark Pearson, has um, sp- spoken in um, defence of um, early stage abortion and um, uh, yeah, support supports that. Um, my, my personal position would be the same. Um, I think what you said is right. There is a point in pregnancy where um, uh, the, you know, the, we, we're sure, uh, up until that point that we're sure at least that the child is, um, the fetus is not sentient um, and does not feel pain. And, you know, going back to what I said before, I think um, pain is kind of the pain and suffering and ability to feel joy and happiness and all that is kind of the main morally relevant trait and so for me personally, at least, um, I would be um, happy to support um, abortion. You know, it's a decision made by the, by the mother and um, pe- perhaps even the father and, you know, in consultation with their doctor. Um, as long as it's early stage, I would be happy to support that. Um, then it gets more complicated. And then I think um, you know, it, it would have to be like a, the, someone's life would have to be at risk, like the mother's life would have to be at risk or something to consider like a mid or late stage abortion. Mm. But um, yeah, that's, that's my first position. Mm. Okay. Now, I don't know if there's any more human issues that you want to talk about. Mm. I just kind of want, I just, I just thought about that one because um, yeah. I thought it might relate. Um, but what I would like is, do you want to, is there any, um, is there anything people can do every day mm-hmm. um, that that might make a bit more animal friendly world and yep. also if you wanted to kind of give a short pitch on maybe um i don't know if you're a vegan or a vegetarian mm-hmm. but what what's the pitch to the to the non-vegans and non-vegetarians out there yeah okay so i am vegan i've been vegan for um, about four and a half years now um my pitch well first i'd i'll say that um I, I used to only almost only eat animal products. Uh, I obviously wasn't born vegan. Um, few, few people are, but uh, I up until about I think twenty, um, I I hated fruit. I hated vegetables, uh, and I just pretty much only ate meat, dairy, eggs. Um, so I think if I if I can if I can change, I think anyone can. And I, I have to say, I gave it a go. At first, I tried vegetarian, and I thought you know it would be really hard. I'll go do it for a week, see how I go. Um, 
I just never stopped. And then two years later, I thought, well, vegan, that's that's an extra, that's a bit too hard, but I'll, you know, I'll give it a go for a week and I just never stopped. So it is easier, I think, than people think it is. Um, it does sound really hard at first, but most people I've met who have just tried it have actually been really surprised and said, wow, actually it is, it is easy. Um, but, well, I guess my pitch would be, we've spoken about, I think, most of the issues. Um, it's it's uh, obviously better for the animals, but it's better for the environment. Um, it's it's most likely better for our health um, as well, as long as you're making sure you get the mm. right nutrients. But people don't make sure they get the often they don't make sure they get the right nutrients on a um, non-vegan diet. Mm. So you have to do the same things. Um, and you know, just on average, vegans have higher blood protein concentration. They have um, longer life expectancy and a, a number of other things. Lower rates of cancer, um, type two diabetes, obesity. So. Yeah, definitely consider it, even if you're anything about it for the health um, benefits. But um, if you want to give it a go, I would I would suggest um, there is a good website called Ten Weeks to Vegan, which you can sign up for with your email, and they'll send you every one week. They'll send you um, like tips on cutting out one product. So you cut out one product a week for every ten weeks. Uh, it gives you like recipes and ideas and nutrition information. Um, or um, try being try like a Vegan Mondays or something, and just give it a go. Um, mm. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I think you will, f- you will be pleasantly surprised. I think um, for most people, at least, uh, it's easier than they thought it would be. Okay, beautiful. Um, now, where can people find the Animal Justice Party? I don't know if you want people to find you in particular. They mm. might have liked what you said, might, might want to hear more of what you got to say. So give us, where can we find either you or the Animal Justice Party or both? Sure, so the Animal Justice Party website is um, animaljusticeparty.org uh, or our New South Wales um, website is nsw.animaljusticeparty.org. Uh, you can find information about the, our policies there, our youth wing and some other stuff. Um, if people want to find uh, out more about my work in particular, I might have a, my own personal website, uh, michaeldello.com, where I talk about Animal Justice Party stuff as well. Um, but also some, um, I talk about ethics and science and some other stuff. Um, yeah, or, uh, or I'm on um, uh, my um, official party page is on Facebook, which... Um, I think if you just search Michael Dillon, yeah. you should be able to Well, we'll regardless, we'll throw all the links in the description. So if you want to have a look down there, um, you'll be able to find Michael. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, if you liked what you saw today, make sure to let us know, like, comment, subscribe. I'm that guy who says that now um, on the YouTube. But, um, you know, feel free to do it. If you really enjoyed it and want to take the support one step further, feel free to check us out on Patreon. You can donate for as little as a dollar a month. Really appreciate that. And all our patrons. Uh, or patrons, I don't know what the word is, uh, who support it already. So thank you very much. Uh, thanks to the Animal Justice Party. Love to have you on again. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. Um, and I'd love to see uh, what what you guys get up to in, in the parliament. Um, thanks, Google. I think that'll be interesting. But anyway, thanks for being with us and hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Bye-bye.